Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and Me. With the S&P 500 so high, should you invest in the S&P 500 in February of 2024? The same sort of question, but transplanted to Japan with the Nikkei at a record high. Does investing in Japan make perfect sense? Does it make perfect sense right now in particular? And have you heard this new narrative that the Fed may not cut rates at all this year because high rates aren't hurting that according to Jim Bianco and analysts, we find out what my guest today thinks. Cheng Chai Sen is head of investment at Provident. Good morning, Chai Sen. Morning, Michelle. Okay, so let's take a look at the S&P 500. First up, um, why? what's been driving it to new record highs in February? Is this all about the NVIDIA effect? Yeah, you know, yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head. We've been hearing a lot about the Magnificent Seven uh, last year, especially that was leading the rally. And But recently, I think it's just come down to two letters, AI, and that <laughs> means NVIDIA. And uh, I think like right now, NVIDIA's extremely bullish forecast on revenue growth uh, or the growth of the AI sector. If you look at the stock, it's up more than 50% this year alone. And uh, we're only two months into the year, <laughs> mind you. So you can see that kind of impact that NVIDIA has on the uh, mark, on the stock market, on the broader semiconductor industry in general, on the S&P 500. So the stock is now past $2 trillion in market cap. Uh, it's been, and it's definitely been the catalyst for in the past week for the new highs that we are seeing because now it is the third largest uh, company in the U.S., and what that means is when it goes up 16% because it makes a very, very bullish revenue forecast and big impact on the indexes. And that's uh, sort of pulling up the S&P 500 to new record highs. And I mean, if you, you know, if listeners are wondering why there's such a buzz around this company, NVIDIA, mm. well, basically it's because NVIDIA has been leading in designing the chips that power AI software. And as more companies start to add AI capabilities to their software, like Microsoft and Google, to name a few, they're buying more chips from NVIDIA to power their data centers to do all this AI calculation and computation. And that's why uh, the company has been forecasting huge increases in revenue. And that has been driving up the stock. And it's also been driving up uh, all the various companies that sort of surround it in its supply chain and that also benefit from the increased demand in AI chips. So but I think, you know... Go ahead. Oh, yes. No, no, please. Oh, I was just going to say, if you, if, you know, if you look outside of the US, though, it's actually not just the US making record highs. Um, Europe's also making record highs, mm. actually. The stock 600, uh, and it's also driven by a few companies. Uh, but in Europe's case, it's 11 major companies. Yes, GSK, Roche. ASML from uh, Holland and uh, Nestle, Novartis, uh, Novo Nordisk, L'Oreal, LVMH, AstraZeneca, and uh, SAP and Sanofi. And all these companies are all pushing uh, European stocks to make new highs. So I think we can see that 2024 investors are starting to come back into stocks in a bigger way. And this, although it seems like having the stock returns all concentrated in a few names is a bit strange. It's actually not really that strange because uh, historically, stock returns typically only come from about a fifth or, or you can say 20% of you know all stocks in the market, which means you really have to stay quite diversified or be a very good stock picker. 
So if somebody is wondering, how can one company or one stock make such a difference? You know, doesn't the S&P 500 cover the top 500 companies in the US? And your answer would be because it, 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 this is about how large NVIDIA is? So you have to think about how the index is constructed. And so the S&P 500 is market capitalization weighted. Basically, that means uh, how much the company is worth. So if the company uh, is worth more and is bigger, it takes a bigger weight in the index. So any move in that company stocks will have a larger proportionate effect on the movement of the index. So in NVIDIA's case, because now it's more than $2 trillion in market cap, that means it's uh, the largest company behind Apple and Microsoft. And so when it moves up, uh, it will have a big, bigger effect on the index versus, say, a company that is uh, 500 or the you know 499, then they're much smaller. And so even if they move, they'll have a much smaller impact on the index because they are much smaller weight in the index. Thank you for that primer. A lot of beginner investors like to in look at index funds because it reduces their risk. The, the fund costs are relatively cheaper as well. It's an uh, affordable way to closely track the market, let's, let's say, put it that way. But with the S&P mm-hmm. 500 so high, does it make sense to buy an S&P 500 ETF in February this year? Some research that I looked at said that well, the truth is, every time uh, a market makes a new high, it actually starts c- carries on making more new highs right after that. I mean, if you think back to uh, 2021, when the stock market, you know, the start of the year was making some new highs, and then, you know, it's just carry on going up throughout the year. So, you know, in that standpoint, you don't know how high the market can go and, and, you know, when it will turn. So I think being invested, you know, if you need to invest, being invested is better than not investing at all because uh, if you say you want to wait for some correction to happen, you don't know when that will happen. And even if it does, it might not correct down to where the market is right now. It might correct down to some, it might move up a lot and then come down a bit, you know. So in terms of uh, as an investor, you know, you should think about, first of all, your goals, your risk appetite, and then look to invest in in, uh, suitable instruments accordingly. So if you do need some kind of uh, equity return, yes, you can invest in the S&P 500. But you know, if you're a Singaporean and you're looking at a more sort of globalized view, and I mean, it's not just the S&P making new highs, there, there, there's Europe, there's uh, Japan, you might want to look at something like uh, MSCI World ETF instead, and then diversify your risk. So you know, even if the US market uh, doesn't go up as much, you have other regions in your uh, index that are going to keep you uh, keep the rally going. So, so maybe that's something to consider for investors. Okay, I'm going to ask a naughty question, but I have to because I have my journal hat on. You know, with NVIDIA powering so much of the S&P 500, what would you say to the investors saying, oh, instead of investing in the index, I'll just invest in NVIDIA because its stock price has soared so much. Um, do you think it's a good good idea to also think about how disruptors can be disrupted? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you can only just look back at, say, there have been a few examples of this recently, right? Um, if you were to just say you were chasing uh, Tesla's stock 
you know, Ooh. prior or, or even uh, Meta Facebook stock prior, you know, they have gone through periods where they suddenly, you know, stopped being the, the leaders of the market rally and then they had big pullbacks. So, I mean, when you buy a single name stock, you're always exposing yourself to the risk. Of course, right now, NVIDIA looks like the market leader, but we honestly don't know what will happen in the future. And even then, what they have projected forecasts, right? It's mm. not, you know, happened yet. So, so there's always that uncertainty. So, of course, if you get it right, you will be more successful than buying an index. But I think uh, as investors, we also need to consider not just the upside, but the downside. So if you don't get it right, then you are, you know, putting all your eggs into one basket. So uh, that's something for investors to keep in mind. Very sobering words. I would like that framed somewhere in my house. We don't only consider the upside, we need to consider the downside. All right, let's look at Japan. It seems like even after reaching new fresh highs after 34 years, the Nikkei 225 keep soaring. Just yesterday, Japan's Nikkei 225 index hit a fresh high as traders returned from a long weekend. What has been the driver of this relentless rally? Yeah, that's a very interesting one too. Uh, there are a few reasons for this resurgence in Japanese stock. Uh, I mean, first of all, uh, we have had a recent resurgence in manufacturing. I think according to some analysis done by Nikkei, uh, you know, net profit for listed Japanese manufacturers grew more than 20%, you know, on the year from April to December period. And so this is sort of a, a major driver and the auto industry has been driving this. So it's been a big boost for Japanese stocks because, you know, better profits uh, are showing up and uh, Japanese stocks are generally quite heavy in manufacturing. And of course, another strength of Japanese manufacturing is semiconductors. And as mentioned earlier, uh, the results from NVIDIA, the forecast, all the all the talk around AI, that's also been boosted semiconductor stocks that supply NVIDIA, that are part of NVIDIA supply chain from Japan. And that's been another driver that has propelled the Nikkei to new highs. And on top of these two big reasons, uh, I mean, in the past year, there's been constant talk about uh, the reforms along the Tokyo Stock Exchange, and these are expected to improve things like corporate profitability and increase shareholder returns over time. Uh, you know, their analysts are expecting as a result of some of these reforms, there are going to be uh, more buyback announcements by Japanese companies because a lot of Japanese stocks are still trading in net cash. Uh, also, another sort of tailwind for Japanese stocks is the fact that, you know, uh, the Japanese yen uh, against the US dollar is still, you know, around 150. So in, in that sense, you know, it's still very uh, sort of cheap for foreign investors to buy into the Japanese market. And uh, we continue to see foreign buying in Japanese stocks. So in 2023, there was almost $30 billion of foreign inflow into Japanese stocks. And so that's a significant trend and it looks like it's carrying on this year. So as global flows continue to, you know, go back into Japan, that could be reason for, you know, another reason why the Nikkei is making a new high. As you say, global investors have piled into Japan. We've seen that since the start of the year in particular, and that's fueling the country's equity market. So with the Nikkei at record highs, does it make sense to invest in Japan today? I think as part of Providence investment philosophy, we seek to you know maintain global diversification. So definitely, mm. uh, it makes sense to be invested in Japan and you shouldn't ignore uh, the Japanese equity market. I think one of the good ways to do it, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is to be investing through a globally diversified index. So like MSCI World uh, Index, 
you know, it has uh, quite a big chunk in Japan, I think about 8% or so. And you know, if you have Japanese stocks as part of a globally diversified portfolio, you sort of, you don't really need to worry about timing it. You know, it's always just going to be in your portfolio. And if it does well, it will provide a boost to your portfolio. Uh, and if it doesn't do so well, I mean, there'll always be other parts of your portfolio that are going to drive your returns. So I think this is one of the ways that an investor can think about getting access and um, also a pretty more conservative way of getting back. All right, let's turn our attention to interest rates. A prominent Wall Street analyst, Jim Bianco, he says he believes the Fed may not cut rates at all this year because high rates don't seem to be hurting much. And he believes the Fed, what the Fed needs to administer is uh, quite the opposite of what we seem to be playing out. Let me ask you, with interest rates one of the key drivers for markets so far, um, not just this year, last year as well, what is the current expectation that you are reading about how the Fed could proceed with interest rates this year? Yeah, I think it seems like interest rates are you know, a big driver of the markets. Maybe, maybe it might be AI soon that's driving the market. <laughs> but I mean, in all seriousness, yeah, I think there's a point, you know, when you say that um, interest rate might not need to come down so quickly because if you have interest rates at 5.5% and your stock market continues to make new highs, I mean, obviously, uh, high these, this level of rates isn't being financially restrictive on the market. Right? Or either that, the expectations of the market uh, could be very different from the Fed. So let's see what they've been saying. I mean, the Fed, in the minutes of their last meeting in late January, uh, they did say that they are quite wary of cutting rates too quickly. And in fact, most of the officials on the Fed board have been uh, echoing that and saying that same sort of line, that they feel that they need to keep rates uh, where they are and not to cut the rates too quickly. And I think if you you know don't look at the stock market, but you look at the bond market, you will start to see that investors are starting to accept this. Mm-hmm. Because back in late December and early January, when there was all this... Uh, hope that the Fed would cut rates, you know, in March, and we're almost at March, by the way, but yeah, uh, they hope that they would cut rates in March. We had the 10-year treasury down below 4%. It was about 3.85%, right? And investors then were really optimistic. But now if you look at the 10-year treasury yield, it's crept back up to almost 4.3%. So that's almost 50 basis points. That's quite a big move in terms of treasury yields in a few months. And so it's sort of starting to reflect that at least for fixed income investors, they are starting to listen to a bit more of what the Fed has been saying. They are also looking at the recent inflation data that has come in a little stronger than expected. And they are you know, starting to realize, yes, probably the Fed might not cut rates so soon, uh, at least not until late 2024, if, you know, if, if at all. So I think uh, you know, what we have here is maybe... Well, you know, obviously the stock market's hoping one thing, the bond market's seeing one thing, so the, and the Fed is saying one thing. So it's all about, as we know, the markets always trade in expectation. So in this case, we'll have to see whose expectations are correct and if uh, the stocks have been pricing in some uh, early rate cuts or some kind of big rate cuts, then you know, if the expectations change, then we might see some volatility ahead. All right. Somebody might think, well, it's time to look at those UST bills and how I can invest in them if those rates have been climbing higher. And can I do it with my CPFs? Let's talk CPFs.
CPF Chaisen. Given the recent CPF changes, lots of people wondering how they can maximize their CPF funds if they have any additional funds over the full retirement sum by the time they turn 55. No more essay to depend on. So can they, if they have extra sums in their CPF OA, what are some ways that they can invest with these funds? Yeah, this is this is definitely the hot topic. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone in the office is talking about it too. <laughs> yeah, so I guess, you know, if, you, if you're thinking about investing in your OA, I think you first have to keep in mind that your OA return is essentially a risk-free return. So you have to be very careful in considering the amount of risk you want to take to try to get a better return from the CPF OA. Of course, previously, you know, when we when the CPF SA was available above 55, that was an easy answer. But now you have to figure that out yourself. So might be a, you know, so these are some of the things you need to keep in mind. And of course, the return from CPF uh, comes from, you know, the special Singapore government bonded CPF buys. So not very risk-free. So we need to make sure that when we uh, think about investing the OA money, we want to try and keep the risk level uh, the same uh, unless you you have a very pressing need for much higher return. So some of the things that you know you can consider to keep it at a similar risk but still invest your own. Obviously, the six-month or one-year T-bills are an option right now because they have a higher yield than uh, the CPF OA interest, but uh, they are, of course, the same risk. Uh, but what that does expose you to is reinvestment risk because, of course, if you know, the short-term rates change and they fall or go below what the OA rate is, then uh, that option won't be available anymore. Um, another way to sort of uh, think about investing is, you know, if you want to lock in a longer term you, uh, you could look for a longer dated Singapore government bond or, you know, a quasi-sovereign sort of stat bond, bond, for example, like a HDB bond that provides a higher long-term yield than the current OA rate. And then that will allow you to sort of lock in a longer, longer term yield for your OA money, but yet, you know, keep the risk level at the same. Uh, but of course, what that means is that, you know, if interest on the OA account is raised, then, you know, you will benefit from that if you have bought a long-term bond. So I think uh, these are some of the, you know, options and considerations that investors need to uh, think about, uh, to think about the risk-reward trade-off when it comes to investing in the OA. And of course, I mean, there are other options for investing in your OA, like buying stocks or buying funds that invest in stocks and take more risk. But uh, if you do need a higher return for your OA, you need to take more risk. I think as an investor, you should really discuss your plans with a trusted advisor to make sure you get some appropriate advice before investing that. Because uh, as we all know, CPF is for our retirement and you know retirement is an important part of life. So we want to be very careful with it. Oh, riveting stuff. Thank you so much, Chaisen. This has really been very useful and answers a lot of questions that we have heard banded around the office as well. So really appreciate it. Cheng Chaisen is Head of Investment at Provident. Chaisen, have a great day ahead. Thanks, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.